There you go. Awesome. We get there. We got there. We got there. It's okay. So real life, in case you're wondering, I know we've had a few announcements about it, but we've kind of rebranded branded coffee and conversations. We shortened it up considerably so that they're going to be every every second week or two weeks, the second and fourth week in October, we're going to give you like this little short one-minute video just to encourage you. Something that you can share in your reels on Instagram or or on Facebook or YouTube, different places. And the idea is to keep it under a minute and just give you one little burst of encouragement, something that hopefully you know you can spur you on in the run of a day or in the run of your week. Amen? Does that sound good? Awesome. Amazing. Well, I'm excited to get into Word today. We're looking in Hebrews again. Uh, this week is better. He is a better leader. And uh, when you get into the concept of leadership, I mean, it's a big old topic. So I'm going to try and condense some things down uh, a little bit. But I'm going to start with talking about Inspector Gadget. Anybody remember Inspector Gadget? Put your hand up if you know who Inspector Gadget is. I know sometimes I give these crazy illustrations. I did an illustration one time about the movie Goonies. Anybody know Goonies? Okay, three people. See? You can't, some of these, I'm just going to say it out loud, some of these illustrations you can't do in a cultural church. They just don't, like, because a lot of people didn't grow up with these movies that we grew up with. Yeah, I'm just saying. And there's nothing wrong with it. But go watch Goonies, it's hilarious. Um, But yeah, Inspector Gadget, I'm going to take you back into my childhood. I used to get up early when I was in junior, when I was like, I was going to say when I was 17, but no, and I went to 17. When I was like, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, Inspector Gadget uh, was on TV. It would come on like early in the morning, back when, you know, when you woke up and there was only two channels and you had to go bop, 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 bop to get around to the channels, right? Kids just don't know. I'm telling you. So lie down on the floor in front of this big floor model TV that looked like some kind of monument that you'd see in the middle of a park, right? And so, and so I would watch Inspector Gadget. Na, 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 na. Right, everybody? If you don't, oh my gosh. See, the new version of Inspector Gadget is like uh, computer animated, and there's also a movie out with Matthew Broderick. They're not as good. Go back and watch the old cartoon. It was fun. But Inspector Gadget, I, I love Inspector Gadget. He was, his boss was named was Chief Quimby, and Chief Quimby would show up at the beginning of every episode. He'd be like dressed as whatever. Sometimes he'd be a plant in the park or dressed as a mascot out in the street or something, and he would hand Gadget, Gadget, here's this piece of paper, you know, and, and, and it would have his mission on it. And at the end of the mission, it would say, this message will self-destruct. And he would throw it in a ball and throw it like this. And no matter where he threw it, it would like land on Captain Quimby or, or uh, Chief Quimby into his suit or in the garbage can he was hiding in and boom, it would blow up every episode. That's not really all that important, but I just thought it was funny. <laughs> But the, the hilarious thing about, about Gadget, and I think we got more in common with Gadget than we like, other than the fact that he had, like, tools coming out of memory. He, he had a helicopter that we were supposed to believe came out of his hat, but it was massive. And he would fly around his helicopter. He had screwdrivers in his fingers and stuff. I know it sounds weird. you got to go look at the cartoon if you've never seen it before, because otherwise it just sounds grotesque, really. Um, but, yeah, he, he could do all these things, but he was really... A, a kind of a bumbling weirdo. Like, he didn't know what he was doing half the time. And when you watch the show, you know, Gadget is praised as the hero. He's the guy who gets all the attention. Chief Quimby, at some point in the show, is always say, always makes reference of Gadget. He's the best we've got. You know, he's the best because he didn't really know what was going on either. But 
I loved this show as a kid because there was a kid in the show named Penny. Who remembers Penny? And Brain? First of all, I'll never understand how Brain, why he even had an intercom. Like, he had these things that came out of his collar that, like, microphones so he could talk to Penny. One went to his ear, one, and he'd be like, blah, 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 blah. who understands that, right? You can't tell him. Anyway, it's a cartoon. Get over it, Pete. But Penny and Brain were the ones, they would follow Inspector Gadget all over the world. And Penny had this book that turned into a computer that was made for her. And they basically were the real protagonists of the show. They were the ones who, every time Gadget messed up, every time he did something crazy, Penny and Brain behind the scenes made it look like he was doing great things. And he was, but he was always lauded as the hero. And a lot of times at the end of the show, Chief Quimby would show up and say, great job, Gadget. And he's like, yeah, great job. As if to say, what did I do? Because he had no idea. But Penny and, and Brain had foiled Dr. Claw. That's the, the antagonist, his vill- the big villain in the show that you only ever saw his arm shaking. That's how he did all of his emotions. And you also saw his little sidekick, Mad Cat which was aptly named, that would be laughing on the side there. And, but it was Penny and Brain that always did the stuff behind the scenes. They were the ones, they were the unseen force that came in, and he had no idea about it. For all he knew, he was doing great. And he, and he was succeeding at life, and he was doing all these things. But like I said, I love this show. And when I was, in, like I said, in public school, I would get up so early in the morning just to watch this show and a few other of those shows that I'm not going to name because it just make me sound even older than I am. But we can get caught in the gadget trap sometimes. Uh, we look at the blessings and the successes of our life and assume that it's all our own doing. In so doing, we can become oblivious to the unseen leader that is really orchestrating and, and, and monitoring and paying attention to our steps. Even worse, we are sometimes aware of his presence and still sometimes fail to give him credit. <laughs> Or worse still, we grumble and complain that he answered our prayers differently than we expected or he didn't follow our plan. And none of us, I don't think, would ever admit that we would do that, but we get caught doing that sometimes. Gadget at least had no idea that someone was covering his mistakes and looking out for him. Uh, But we all struggle like Gadget more than we realize. Uh, If we read the account of Exodus, we have uh, this example upon, example upon example of God's patience at work. Uh, his miracles, though many, are quickly forgotten. And like the Israelites, when we forget <laughs> and do not keep account of God's blessings, we can get caught complaining as well. And I think, like I said, if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us can say that we got caught there once in a while in our life. So in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, so a lot of information here. I just want to get it, get in here and talk about a little bit of it this morning. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, the understanding that Jesus is better in every way is reinforced yet again. Uh, these two chapters show us that Jesus is a better leader in every way. Now Moses was a great leader. I don't, I don't want to stand up here and just bag on Moses for no reason. There has been books and chapters of books dedicated to leadership lessons of Moses and Reggie McNeil wrote a great book called A Work of, of Heart, and I would recommend any of you read it. And he has a chapter dedicated to Moses as leader, and he highlights Moses' uh, strong internal sense of right and wrong, which is absolutely true. 
his unique upbringing and how it prepared him to live out God's plan. That's a whole study in itself and how him growing up in the Egyptian palace would have prepared him to go back and, and approach the Pharaoh when, when he was asking for people to be released. His ability to keep going in the face of obstacles shows up over and over. His determination to not let his past dictate whether or not he acted out his future. You think about it, when he went to the Israelites at first and they were, you know, not receptive of him and they actually called him out for murder and then he flees to the desert for an extended period of time where he meets his wife and he meets uh, his father-in-law Jethro. I mean, you think about it, that that's a pretty debilitating thing. That your own people, you go and tell them that you want to help and you want to save and you want to be part of their 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 rescue and they... Don't accept anything you say. He also had a great adherence to the advice of great mentors like his father-in-law Jethro, and there's many examples of that as well. For all Moses was and did, his leadership was only as effective as as he trusted in God. And uh, I read this passage last week, but I just want to read it again. Hebrews 3, 3 and 4 highlights exactly this. It says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And this sets up all of chapter 4, basically. And it basically highlights that Moses was a great leader. He was faithful in God's house. But Christ is over God's house. And in the New Testament understanding, the New Covenant understanding, the church, we are his house. Now Joshua was a great leader as well. And we could list multiple reasons why his courage notwithstanding, regardless of the quality of Moses or Joshua's leadership, They both lack the ability to lead God's people into his rest, as we understand it in Hebrews. And Hebrews 4, verses 8 to 11 says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. May God bless you in his word. Father, we're so thankful today for your son. Thankful, Lord Jesus, that you came. And Lord, we love studying about all that means for us. God, we love studying about how being your family, Lord Jesus. Well, we just really don't understand the gravity of it as much as we probably should. And so, Lord, I pray that you continue to challenge us through this book, this epistle of Hebrews, O oh God. Open this word to us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. I'm just a vessel, Lord, doing my best with your word, being honest with it, O oh God, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the primary communicator of this word to our hearts today. Challenge us, Lord Jesus. Give me clarity of thought and speech as I present your word in your precious name. Amen. 
So the idea of rest is an important one, and it is important to understand what it means for us today. And in order to do that, we have to do like the author of Hebrews does and look at Psalm 95. Psalm 95 expounds on the reasons that Moses and a whole generation of Israelites were unable to enter God's rest. And it is referenced throughout chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole chapter in the interest of time today, but try and just pace with me as we move down through here. So Psalm 95, beginning at the second half of 7, verse 7, going to verse 11, it says, Today, if only you would hear his voice. And this is David talking to his people. He says, Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with the generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. We understand this to be the rest offered by crossing the Jordan or the promised land. This is where our mind first goes. And I'll get into that a little bit deeper in a minute, in a minute but a rest that a whole generation didn't experience because of their disobedience. And Moses was counted among them. And chapter 4, however, is not focusing on the other side of the Jordan River when he speaks of rest. So let's take a look at God's rest as it is understood in chapter 4. First, we got to understand rest as it's understood at creation. So if we look back to the creation account, don't worry. I know when a pastor starts, you know, in the book of Genesis, you're worried, right? Is he going to go through every one? No, I'm just, I'm, I'll come back to Hebrews in a minute. Just hang in there. We got to start at creation. If we look back to the creation account, we see the first glimpse of the rest that God has planned for us. Once God completed his act of creation, he began his rest. And now it is his desire that all his people would enter that rest. And he longs for that day. You cannot understand rest as it's, under, as it's spoken about in Hebrews unless you understand rest as it's spoken about in Genesis. When the author of Hebrews talks about rest, this is where the understanding begins. He says in verses 3, in the second half down to verse 5, he says, And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So in Psalm 95, go back to verse 7 and again. And it says, when David says, today, if only you would hear his voice. It indicates to us that the rest referred to in Hebrews 4, as well as Psalm 95, is not talking about Canaan where the Israelites settled under Joshua's leaders. It's talking about something more. After all, David, David's time is long past that time. David is recounting a historical account here. He says when the Israelites weren't listening, he's, he's using it as an example to talk to his people. So it tells us that he's talking, that the author is talking about something more here. Our understanding of rest begins at creation, but the example he used here draws our attention to the Israelites in the desert waiting to cross the Jordan. This is the second understanding of rest in this passage, is the crossing of the Jordan. 
The Israelites in the desert would have understood rest in their terms as the promised land. When we could just get to the promised land. When are we going to get to the promised land? When are we going to get to the land that Abraham had promised us? Their entrance into the land was severely delayed by disobedience and lack of faith. And Psalm 95 describes this quite well. David is encouraging his readers not to harden their hearts like the Israelites of old. Making reference to Meribah and Massah, which were times of quarreling, which is what Meribah means, and testing, which is what Massah means. The entrance into the promised land was momentous in Israel's history, and it certainly provided some momentary rest, but this is still not the rest the author in Hebrews is referring to when he's speaking to the Hebrews Christians who were struggling with not going back to their works-based faith, but staying in their grace based understanding of Jesus. Verse four of chapter, or verse one of chapter four says this, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. If Jordan was the rest, if the crossing of the Jordan was the rest that it was speaking of, then he wouldn't say this at all. He says, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of us has fallen short of it. And again, he's talking to Hebrew Christians who were struggling with not going back to the old Jewish ways and staying in the Christian faith. Moses was a great leader who had obvious flaws and because of disobedience was unable to cross the Jordan into the promised land. So has Moses not entered God's rest? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Joshua was a great and courageous leader and did lead God's people into this promised land. But did the Israelites, once they got to the promised land, stop sinning? Did they really enter God's rest? Yet David in Psalm 95, years after they had inhabited the promised land, is still imploring them not to harden their hearts like those first inhabitants. Don't be like them. In other words, David was still referencing God's rest as something they could still miss out on. He was pointing to something greater that finds its beginning all the way back to the seventh day in Genesis. Moses, Joshua, or David never led God's people to the rest spoken of in Hebrews chapter 4. Only Jesus could lead us to the rest. Because we need to understand this morning, he is the rest spoken of in Hebrews chapter 4. Let me explain, but first let's read this passage. I read a little earlier one more time, Hebrews 4, 8 to 11. Again, it says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So Moses, Joshua, and David were all great leaders, but it was never in their realm of possibility to provide the rest for God's people described in Hebrews chapter 4. The Israelites continued to sin and rebel against God even after crossing into the promised land. And this is illustrated by David's counsel and warning in Psalm 95. Generations later than the Exodus. The journey from Egypt to Canaan is a great example of what happens when we try to provide what only God can. A journey from Egypt to Jordan's river, an 11-day journey, ballooned. The 40 years because of hardened hearts 
and the disobedience of God's chosen people. We need to understand this morning that the only rest that we need to seek out today is Jesus. Jesus is a better leader than Moses. The better leader than Joshua, David, Elijah, Daniel, anybody you can list in the Old Testament. He is better prophet. He's a better priest we'll talk about next week. He is a better leader in every way than anyone in history because he had a plan of redemption ever since we turned from his rest at creation. When we talk about leadership, when we talk about leadership, we talk about personal abilities, we talk about talents, we talk about charisma, we talk about great motivators, the type of people who could convince a polar bear to lose, that they might need to lose a few pounds. You know what I mean? That kind of leader. You ever known that person that can make you run through a wall? I'm still working at being a good motivator that way, hopefully. You know, I can motivate you to run through some walls. We'll see. Leadership, in our understanding, boils down to influence. But how are we using that influence? Trying to explain this to my daughter a little while ago and talking about her about being a leader. You know, and said, don't do what other people do just because they do it, just because you think you fit, you fit in. If you do what you know is right to do, and then other people will follow you because you now have influence. And whoever doesn't follow you on the right path are not people worth influencing and not worth influencing you. Leadership is definitely influence. Moses, Joshua, David were great yet flawed leaders, but the rest that God modeled for us on the seventh day is not a rest that either one of them could lead us to. Why? Because the rest that was earned on the seventh day and the rest that is referred to by the author in Hebrews has one thing in common and God has already done and finished all the work. Jesus is our rest. I had a plan to talk about this a little bit later, but I'm going to talk about how Jesus is our rest for eternity in a few moments. But I just think sometimes, you know, I hear people talk about the Jordan. Oh, when we get on the other side of the Jordan. And I know it's a reference to heaven and reference to an eternal rest. And I will talk about that in just a few moments. But I got to tell you, it kind of drives me nuts a little bit. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about people being excited for heaven. But you got to understand that Jesus is your rest now. Right? Not everything we do is toiling. Not everything we do is like fighting and pushing. You know, we've all heard the testimonies of people get up and say, Oh man, the devil gave me a going over this week. I don't know how I survived. I heard him countless times when I was a kid growing up. You know, and I would go home and I said, and I would say to dad and mom, and I say, what's wrong with so-and-so? Why do you so, like, why does it seem like the devil picks on them so much? I'm serious. At eight, nine years old, these are the conversations I had. You know, because I think we just feel like our rest is not going to come until eternity comes. But Jesus says, I am your rest. He has done the heavy lifting. He has done the work on the cross. This is why he is the only one who can lead us to this rest. He is the perfect priest. He is perfect in every way. He is the perfect leader in every way. 
He's already done the work. We cannot lead someone to salvation. We can only lead them to Jesus. I think if we understood this, it would change how we reach out to people. We're not trying to, to sell them on something. You know, if you sat down with somebody at a coffee shop and said, let me explain salvation to you. First of all, there's justification. You know, it's just as if you never sinned ever in your life. And sanctification, well, that's when you just, you got to keep doing the work and work out your salvation. No, don't be wrong. These things are important. I'm not trying to make light of soteriology. Understanding our salvation, that we're just as if we've never seen justification is important. Understanding that we're still working at our salvation, that sin is still working in this world, and that we got to keep pushing forward, right? we got to keep acknowledging that Jesus has provided us rest from this world, that he's provided us rest from, from the burden of thinking we can do it ourselves. we got to do this. we got to keep working at our salvation and sanctification. But we cannot live as if we're just waiting for glorification. You cannot live now. There's too many people's lives that depend on it to live as if we're just waiting for our eternal rest. God never once told us to wait, not in the way you think like that. When he said wait on the Lord, there was prayer involved. There was meditation involved. There was instruction involved, but he never intended you to wait and stay still for eternity until he comes. He says, wait until I give you instructions. Wait until the Spirit leads you. Wait until the perfect leader guides you and pulls you to where he wants you to go. That's why we wait on the Lord today. We don't wait for the bus to come and take us to heaven. People would much rather have to work to earn their faith. I believe this. But all we would do with the metaphorical, it, it, all we would do is metaphorically wander for 40 years trying to do what should have taken 11 days. When we try to work and earn our own, it's like the tire spinning in the mud, you know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever been stuck like that. For me, it's growing up in Newfoundland, a skidoo. In Newfoundland, Polaris, Arctic Cat, Snowmobile, they're all skidoos, okay? So when I say skidoo, I'm just talking about a snow machine, a sled. Some of you guys call it up here. It's a skidoo. Just get over it. But growing up, you know, you get, you can get stuck. Oh, I got, I got heavy skidoos stuck in some pretty bad places because we were kind of crazy on those snow machines. And, and I'm going to tell you, when you're spinning and you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, you're like, you hear your dad saying, let off the throttle, let off your throttle, because he knows you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper. But when we try and work and earn our own salvation, we try to do the things ourselves that to make people believe that we're a Christian. What we're doing is we're hammering on the throttle and we're going deeper, and the father is saying, stop, my son, what are you doing? I've already got a better plan for you. And I don't know about you, but my dad... Is a big man. And uh, when my dad came to help me haul the skidoo out, it got out a lot quicker than when I did it. That's what's great about God is he's willing to get down there and pull you out even after you do mess up. You guys are getting used to me crying now. There's tissue boxes everywhere. There's even one on my desk now that just magically showed up. Thank you very much. I don't cry when I do my work, by the way.
The rest spoken of in Hebrews is more than a plot of land promised to those of the Exodus. When creation was completed, his rest, he rested on the seventh day. And when Jesus provided redemption on the cross, he gave us rest from our attempts to save ourselves. And I said this last week, and I need to say it again. It's going to come up probably multiple times in this series. Only we, only he who creates can redeem that which he's created. He has done the work so you can rest in his grace. Christ has paid the price for our sin just as we could do nothing to assist God in creation. We could do nothing to assist in our redemption except accepting his invitation to rest. I said last week that better is fulfillment, not abolition. And when I read Psalm 95, I hear the gospel message. You got to understand that this whole book is about the gospel. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Every moment of it points to the son of the living God. Every moment of it. And when I read Psalm 95, I hear the gospel. If the people he was warning not to harden their hearts had still not entered his rest. Years and generations later, long after the promised land was received. Then to me, this passage is prophetic. And David is pointing us straight to Jesus. Rest, of course, is also talking about his eternal presence and like i said i didn't mean i didn't want to bag on anybody about looking forward to heaven and jesus and presence for eternity my goodness there's not a day that goes by that i don't think about it that's the truth and if i haven't thought about it and then i think later that i haven't thought about it yet i purposely make myself think about it that was a mouthful but you know what i mean it's just like I, have, I can't believe, sometimes you realize, oh, I can't believe I haven't prayed for that yet today. You know, I can't believe I haven't done that. Like, I think about heaven. Rest also refers to his presence forever. When, he, when we enter his rest from work and receive his grace, we also look forward to his eternal rest. That's when we say, when we cross the Jordan, right? And all while I was preparing this sermon, I kept thinking of this song, He is my peace. It was broken in every wall. He is my peace. He is my peace. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He is my peace. I think when I sing that song, I think, I think of the rest that I have in Jesus and understanding that, you know, I can spin my wheels as much as I want trying to, to be good and do all these things and be everything that I want to be. But... Finding my rest in Jesus begins now. Your eternity begins when you meet Jesus. And you've heard me say probably multiple times already, but I love the Lord's Prayer for this reason. It says, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a speaking of the future. That's a present prayer. And when you invite Jesus into your heart, you're saying, God, thy kingdom come. Let your eternal rest begin in me here on earth as it is in heaven. Let me understand what you've done for me through your grace and your mercy. Let me understand it to its fullest today so that I'm not wasting my time trying to save myself, but rather I can spend my time trying to bring other people to you. 
all the time we spend trying to do what he has already done, kind of like those spinning wheels or spinning snowmobile track. Today, because of sin, we still have to be cautious not to be distracted as the author of Hebrews warns in verse 1 and through the whole book. You know, the whole epistle he talks about, you know, warning them about falling back. Don't go back into the old ways. You know, trust grace. Trust the work of the Lord. Trust what Jesus has done for you. Trust the rest that he's provided. Trust that he is the perfect priest, the one that went into heaven on your behalf and sits at the right hand of the Father and mediates for you every day. Trust. You see, trust is a better way. It's a better way. Today, because of sin, we still got to be cautious. We must press on, which is why he says in chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort. Can't skip over this line in this chapter. Make every effort to enter that rest. Not that we could earn it, but make every effort to, to remain in that rest, to stay in that rest, to, to, to belong to Jesus so that no one will perish by following their example by following the ones who are falling away. I don't think it is an accident that the author says this right before he writes verses 12 and 13. He says, let us therefore make every effort. Well, how do we make every effort? Verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and it's active. talked last week about meditating you know think about those two words for a moment the word of God is alive and it is active this is not an old ancient book that you blow dust off when God speaks to your heart it is alive it is active it is the leader of all leaders speaking to your heart it says that it is sharper than any double edged sword it penetrates it's a bit of a graphic description but it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart now I hate to bring it up but it's kind of like you almost have to imagine the blade going in and it's a bit grotesque, but that's how the word can get in sometimes and dig into the deep parts of who we are. It penetrates. And yes, it does hurt sometimes because it's also a corrective word. It is a word that guides us on the path, but it is his word. It is words from him who is rest himself. Verse 13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. That's another one we can stop and think about for a while. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If you want us to make every effort to enter his rest, start with his word. If you're here today and this is the first time you've ever heard something that resembled a gospel message, first time you've ever heard about Jesus, I'm going to tell you to start with his word. Go to John's gospel. And look at how Jesus interacted with people. When Nicodemus came to him, and he opened up his heart and opened up his time to listen to what Nicodemus was asking, when he went and sat down at the well and spoke to the Samaritan woman, and he gave of his time to a person that was supposed to be his physical enemy, boy, could we get that message across in the Middle East right now. 
and other people, people who came seeking Zacchaeus. He said, get down in the tree. We're going to have supper. We're going to go eat today. I'm coming to your house. The degenerate of society, the tax collector, the guy who betrayed his own people, took money from his own people, like excessive amounts of money from his own people. And Jesus says, because he could see that he was seeking, because he could see that he needed needed him, he needed to find his rest. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and says, get down from the tree. We're going to your house for supper. We can learn so much from his interactions. If you're here today and this is the first time you've heard about the rest that comes from living in the grace of Jesus, go to the word first. Go to John's gospel, then go to 1 John and read about how much he loves you. It penetrates the deep parts of who we are, even the hardened heart that David was still telling the Israelites generations after the exodus that they need to not let their hearts be hardened. It convicts our wrong attitudes and reminds us who is our rest. God knows all. He sees all. Everything is already laid bare before him. There's nothing you can hide from him, so just be open with him. The word opens our eyes to who the perfect leader is, the only one who can lead us into rest, the only one who created, and the only one who could redeem. The only one who can lift us from the burden that comes from trying to find rest and peace by ourselves. Money can't buy it. The world has proven that time and time again. Power can't provide it. Popularity, just one of the other things. Only pure rest comes from understanding who created you and who has the power to redeem. And we can act like Inspector Gadget. And act like everything is as it should be. And we can ignore this rest and not acknowledge the unseen leader that has done the work that we cannot. I got to tell you, the one thing that drove me nuts about Inspector Gadget is that Penny never got the credit. I wanted to see one last episode where Penny... They found out, and, and Inspector Gadget's like, wow, Penny, you're so great. And then they, you know, they solve it together, and they finally show Dr. Claw, not just his stupid arm. You know, I always wanted to see that, but you know, we do have a hope that one day we're going to see him. I know it's kind of a silly illustration, but just follow with me this morning. Yes, we enter his rest. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We enter his rest now. Freedom from the work and trying to earn our salvation ourselves. We enter his grace, his mercy. We enter it now, but oh, one day we're going to see him. I can't, I don't know what that, I'm trying to, I've tried many times to picture what that's going to be like. Moses, in Exodus 33, asked God to show himself to him. Let me see your glory. And this story is unbelievable. You know, God says, yeah, okay. But I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to put my hand up. And when I walk by, you can look at my back, but you can't look at... Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be in the presence of the King of Kings? I like to dream about that a little bit. So yeah, we enter his rest now. But one day we're going to see the unseen leader.
going to live with the unseen leader. We're going to get to walk in the cool of the evening like Adam and Eve with the unseen leader, the God of all creation, Jesus. I don't know, that keeps me going. The thought of what it would be like to be across the Jordan. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your goodness, your grace. Lord Jesus, I thank you today, oh God, that we are free. We can be free from trying to be someone or something that you have not created us to be. Lord, we, we, have, we can have all these ideas of what's good and what's acceptable and what we should tolerate and what we shouldn't tolerate. We have all these ideas when Jesus comes into our heart, oh God, you take over all that. And you free us from these ideas that we could be good by ourselves, oh God. And you say, nope, the only way you can do that is through sacrifice, through redemption provided by Jesus Christ, the one who created and who also redeems. And you free us. And so, Lord, I also pray for the believers here, Lord, that maybe have been sitting on their laurels a little bit and just waiting for that eternal rest, that eternal presence, Lord Jesus, which we're all excited about for, but you never told us to wait as if we're sitting on our butt doing nothing. You told us to wait for the Holy Spirit's instructions. You told us to wait, Lord, for your guidance and your direction, but you never told us to sit and do nothing. You told us to be active, working, Help us, Jesus, that when we enter your rest, that we would begin to see things as you see them. And that as we lead, as we follow our perfect leader, oh God, that we would also become leaders, people who influence other people to understand the grace of God and what it can do in their life. Lord Jesus, we love you today. I pray that you would just go with us now with the power of the Holy Spirit radiating in our life so that our realm of influence will be affected by the fact that we're part of it. And that your spirit would draw people, oh God. We believe, Lord, for times when this room will be packed full. Not because we can brag about, hey, look at how many people come to our church. No, but because people need Jesus. People need Jesus, Lord. And I I would say, Lord, keep the people that are in the other churches in their churches and bring people who need Jesus. Lord, renew our hearts, oh God. Rekindle the flame in our hearts so that one day, Lord, we would see the true, honest expression of revival. People coming to you. Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. And I pray, Lord, as we fellowship, Lord, and we spend time together, oh God, that we would feel that rest upon us, Lord, amongst us, oh God, that we would experience joy from each other and encouragement. Father, we love you today. And I pray that you would just go with us with the power of God in our life. Jesus, we love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you today. Please stick around and enjoy us. and join us for Cafe Connect and uh, just, you know, take a little bit extra time and get to know me and get to know somebody that you're sitting next to you're looking around, you see an unfamiliar face get out of your comfort zone a little bit and go and introduce yourself, amen? Ah four of you will say amen to that amen? Amen Amen. We're the family
Let's just uh, enjoy each other's time together. God bless you.